Well, it's good to have them back in town for a few days, even though they don't get to be here a long time, but we're going to use them every chance we get anyway. So this morning, now I've got to explain for the ones that wasn't here last week. Last week we had ice. It must have been so those people from Ohio brought it down with them, is all I can figure. But it's, anyway, last week we had ice, and so we didn't have a regular Sunday morning service. And so this is last week's New Year's Eve, New Year's message. But it still works. But let me give you a little background about it first. It, uh, about two months ago, I came up with this ideal of the, of the title of it, but I couldn't find anything to go with it. And so I thought, well, I'm going to get on Google and see if I can find something. And so sure enough, I found something that says, One Year to Live. That's the name of the message today. But yet, let me tell you the story that was on the computers from... Years ago, on the front page of the human interest section of a Los Angeles newspaper was a picture of a lady named Agnes Human. The picture was framed with big, heavy border, and over, the pitch, over her picture, in large, ominous letters, were these words, One Year to Live. Underneath was the ex- explanation about that picture. It said, Miss Agnes Human, 30, of Chicago, has only one year to live, doomed as a result of atomic poisoning contracted in work at the Oak Ridge, Tennessee nuclear plant. She is pondering the fate of her four children and seeks aid in finding a home for them after her death. Can you imagine knowing ahead of time that you're going to die? I mean, as I thought about that, and I have no idea who this lady is, never heard of her before, I've read it on the Internet, it just And I presume it's a true story. I don't know that for a fact. It said it was, so I'm going to take it as a word. You know, the, if it's on the Internet, it's got to be true. Isn't that right? But anyway, it's, I got to think about that. That how would you like to enter this new year knowing this was going to be your last year on the face of the earth? I wonder what that would change to some of us. Can you imagine knowing ahead of time that you only had one year to live? I heard about a doctor that called a patient one morning. He says, well, I've got some good news and some bad news for you. The patient said, well, what's the good news? He said, the doctor says, you've got 24 hours to live. He says, my goodness, what's the bad news then? He said, I tried to call you yesterday. <laughs> and so we can imagine that would be pretty bad news there. But how would you respond if you knew ahead of time, let's just say that this Time next year, December 31st at 11.59, you knew you would draw your last breath upon the face of the earth. Would that change the way you live this year? I hope it would. I think it would for most of us. But I don't know. Some people, it probably wouldn't make a difference. But there's a man in the Bible who was told he only had a short time to live, and he was told that by a prophet of God. The unfortunate man was also a false prophet. He was not a true prophet. His name was Hananiah. We read his story in Jeremiah chapter 28, verses 10 through 17. If you would turn there with me, and I'm going to ask you if you would, if you can, to stand with us. You don't have to if you, if you don't feel comfortable doing it, but that's fine. But just in, as we honor God's Word is all we're doing, so... Uh, uh, Jeremiah chapter 28, beginning in verse 10 and reading through 17. 
Then Hananiah the prophet took the yoke off the prophet Jeremiah's neck and broke it. And Hananiah spoke in the presence of all the people, saying, Thus says the Lord, Even so I will break the yoke of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, from the neck of all the nations within the space of two full years. And the prophet Jeremiah went his way. Now keep that little note in your mind right there. Now the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah after Hananiah the prophet had broken the yoke from the neck of the prophet of Jeremiah, saying, Go and tell Hananiah, Thus says the Lord, You have broken the yokes of wood, but you have made in their place yokes of iron. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, I have put a yoke of iron on the neck of all these nations, that they may serve Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and they shall serve him. I have also I have given all I have given him the beast of the field also. Then the prophet Jeremiah said to Hananiah the prophet, Hear now, Hananiah, the Lord has not sent you, but you make this people trust in a lie. Therefore, thus says the Lord, Behold, I will cast you from the face of the earth. This year you shall die, because you have taught rebellion against the Lord. And verse 17, So Hananiah the prophet died the same year in the seven months. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear God, we thank you, Lord, for this time you've given us this morning. We thank you for each one that's here. We especially thank you for our visitors that are part of our crowd this morning. We just ask that they're made to feel welcome, and Lord, just feel your spirit. We're here together. And Lord, if they're looking for a church home, then we just ask you to just move in their lives and guide them where you'd have them to go. But Lord, we also ask that you would be with each one of us today. Because Lord, I believe this passage we just read pictures some of us sometimes. And Lord, just open our eyes that we may see what you're truly saying to us. In this passage, and all these things we ask in Christ's name, Amen. Here's the background of what happened. Israel was under the domination of Nebuchadnezzar, as you probably heard as we read through it, the king of Babylon. Jeremiah was wearing a yoke around his neck at God's orders, symbolizing this captivity. Hananiah broke the yoke off of Jeremiah and confidently declared in the name of God that within two years the nation would be free and all the vessels of the Lord's house would be restored. The only problem was the Lord did not say that, nor had he told Hananiah to say that. As a result, God sent a true messenger to this false prophet. He gave through a true prophet a prophecy that would come true for the false prophet, and his prophecy was simply this, this year you will die. Now, think about that right there. I mean, just imagine if somebody came to you as a prophet of God and said, guess what, Robert, this year you're going to die. I mean, that would not make you feel too comfortable, I don't think. There wouldn't be a whole lot you could do about it, but you, you, you wouldn't like it too much. But what would you do if it did? This year, you're going to die. The question I want to ask you this morning is, what would you do if you knew today what Hananiah knew, that this year he's going to die? What if you knew that this time next year, December 31st, before midnight that night, that you were going to die and you'll be gone from the face of the earth? Would that change anything? Would that make a difference in your life as you do this? Suppose you were told that today, 
and you've got a whole year to live. What, how would that change what you're doing? What would that make any difference in how you live this year? And how would it make a difference if it would? Just ponder that for a moment. If God came to me and told me that I'm going to die this year, within the span of these 365 days, and I know we've already gone a few days into that, but it's that this will be the last year for me on the face of the earth. How would that change what we would do things? Now, I know that probably a lot of you right now are just looking at me and sort of blowing this off, and you may say, well, deep down inside, this, this message doesn't apply to me. I'm young. I'm healthy. I'm just in the prime of my life, and this isn't going to happen to me. But let me tell you another story. Perhaps the greatest defensive lineman to ever play in the NFL, Reggie White, said the same thing, basically. But yet Reggie White laid down to sleep one night at the age of 43 and never woke up. You see, we don't know when we're going to go. A crowd this size, I would safely say that probably this time next year, there may be somebody that's not with us anymore. Just like we just lost Velta last Saturday. A week ago yesterday. He had struggled. Now, he had a lot of illness and so forth, but we lost him. He's one of our church family. He was a regular member here. He was sitting here every week. I mean, I mean, he was here every week. In fact, that's one of the things that impressed me the most about Velta that anybody I've ever seen. I believe somebody said the other day he was 74 years old, if I remember right. Isn't that 77? Okay. Anyway, at 77 years old, he had severe COPD. He would literally drive his car up here, drive, I emphasize, walk in the building. He'd have to sit at those seats back there to catch his breath before he could walk over and sit in the pew, in the seat, every Sunday morning. But I want you to know something. Every morning he could, he was sitting right here in this building. He didn't miss too many. And I would venture to say probably nobody in here feels any worse than he did coming to church every week. I was trying to think, and I was talking to somebody the other day. I don't remember what it was, but I believe the last Sunday he got to be here was the day the choir did the music, the Christmas musical. I believe that's the last Sunday. And he had gone down after that pretty bad, and, of course, obviously then the, the end came. But it's what I'm trying to say is he managed to get out in good weather and bad weather, and he couldn't breathe in humid weather like it is today. I mean, he had a hard time, but he still came to church. He didn't do that because he just enjoyed going to church. I believe he did that because some years ago he made a commitment to serve God. And nothing was going to stop him unless it was physically impossible for him to go. And there were days like that. There's no doubt about that. And tonight, that's, that's why I say tonight we're having, our, having, the, they're having the family time. And I know a lot of y'all will want to go over that. So we're not going to have an evening service and so I hope you'll forgive us for not having that, but it just uh, this is a long-time family member, and I think we need to, our church family needs to be there as much as we can. But anyway, I didn't get, mean to get off on that, but how many, how many, how would you change if you knew those things about your life today? How would it change? I believe it was in the early 2000s. When was that great tsunami over in Indonesia? Wasn't that 2001, somewhere back in there? Is that what it was? I'm thinking that. I don't know if that's actually exactly right or not, but how would you feel as one of those, the last I heard there was 120,000 people lost their lives at that. Can you imagine those people laying down that night and going to sleep 
not realizing that just within a few hours there'll be 500 mile an hour waves sweep over that beach, island, whatever it was, and literally destroy 120,000 lives at least. How would you feel about something like that? I mean, I remember when that happened, it was on the news every day. I mean, thousands of people literally swept out to sea, never to be seen again. And these, you say, well, how can that happen? We live in a sinful world, folks. That's exactly how it happens. Reggie White, again, probably one of the greatest defensive linemen that ever played the game of football. Laid down at 43 years old. A specimen of a manly man. I mean, he had worked out all his life. He was strong. He was everything you'd think you need to live long at 43 years old and didn't wake up the next morning. We're all going to die. We don't know when. We don't know where. We don't know how, but every one of us are going to die. It could be for some of us this will be our last year. Now, as I get closer and closer to this, more years behind me that's in front of me, that I think, well, I might be one of those here before too long. I mean, I'm fixing to turn 27 next month, this month. So just to... But I believe that for all of us, we should write every letter we can write to our loved ones. We should give every testimony that we could give to the church. We should preach every sermon we got to preach. We should present every offering make every decision, and live every day as if it might be our last day on the face of the earth. Can you imagine how we would change if we would live that way this year? Now, hopefully not. Hopefully, none of us will be gone this time next year, but it, there is a possibility. We know that. I mean, it's a possibility every day of the week we, that could happen. It's always that possibility. I want to share with you this, thing, this morning four things that I would be and I hope to be, and I intend to be this year as if it was going to be my last year upon the earth. Before I do, let me say this. Above all things, I wouldn't let another minute go by without accepting Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. That goes for every one of us in this room. I mean, and we know, I know there's many of us in this room that are getting that age when it could happen. Of course, it doesn't have to be a certain age. But if you've not accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, that's the greatest decision you'll ever make in your life because it has eternal consequences in everything we do. After that, what would go on? This is the first thing I would do as I face my last year. I'm going to tell you one sentence why I would do that for sure. Now, I'm saying that if I wasn't a Christian already, that's the first thing I'd do. Jesus said his own words in John 11:35, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. That's a promise to every one of us in this room, if you've got Jesus Christ, that you're going to live beyond these years. You may die this next year. But, oh, you'll be celebrating like Velt is this morning. I can't imagine the party he's having. He has no more breathing problems. He doesn't have to sit down and rest before he walks in the building. He can just shout and glorify God all the time now. 
because I believe he made that commitment years ago, and I don't know when it was, and he lived that, and he was faithful to this church. Oh, how we need that. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. I would want to make sure that my eternal life insurance has been totally paid up. After that, whether I was going to live a day, a week, a month, another decade, there are four things I would do, I would try to do anyway. Number one, I would be a grateful servant. In the words of the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58, and by the way, normally I use the New King James. This morning I'm going to use a, I'm going to use a few of these in the New, uh, uh, the New Living Translation. You'll see what it is. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Be strong and steady, always enthusiastic about the Lord's work, for you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. Now, if you look that up, that just changes a few words, but I like the way that said that. Be strong and steady, always enthusiastic about the Lord's work, for you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. Isn't that a great statement? There's nothing you do serving God that's useless. I want to spend my last year serving God, being busy in the work of God, and somehow serving God. I would not just come to church and sit and just listen. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I'd want to find a place to serve somewhere. I'd want to find a place to be active in it. I would want to do something for God. I'd want to do something for God's church. I'd want to do something for God's people. I'd want to be involved in some way in God's work going on inside the church. Think about it. Jesus Christ died for the church. That's what he died for. He died for you and I. And anybody else that will come into the fold, but he died for the church. Jesus loved the church. He gave his life for the church. And guess who's going to heaven with him one of these days? The church. I remember it. I'm trying to remember which church it was. I believe this was at our first church. It might have been our second church was at, but that's been a few years ago, so I can't remember exactly. But we used to sing this little song, and I don't know the name of it. I don't know where it came from, who sang or anything else, but I remember these words, and I just I want to share them with you. Maybe some of y'all know. If you know the name of the song, let me know, because I want to find it, because it's a neat little song. It said, and the name of it may be Jesus Used Me. I don't know, but it said, Jesus Used Me, and O oh Lord, don't refuse me. For surely there is a work that I can do. Even though it is humble, help my will to crumble. For though the cost is great, I'll work for you. Is that it? I'll work for you? Is that the name of it? I mean, I, I remember singing that, but I don't remember Jesus used. Okay, I, that's, I sort of thought that might be, but anyway. I want you to listen to five words that can make a great difference in your life if you will believe them and apply them. The five words are these. I'm going to say it slow for some of you. God wants to use you. That means everybody in this building, God wants to use you. There are no exceptions. Now, whether you let him use you or not in this 2018, that's up to you. 
But God wants to use you. If you're a member of this church, he wants to use you here to grow this church. If you're a member of another church, then he wants to use you over there. Wherever it is, God wants to use you in 2018. He wants to make this an important year in the life of this church as well as if you're a member of another church. And, that, you know, God's not only just in this church. He's here more than most of them. But I'm, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. But it's just God wants to use us, folks. And until we get involved in God's work inside the church, you'll never understand the blessings of what a church really is. You'll never grasp the totality of it. God wants to use you for His church. God wants to use you with His church. God has given you gifts and abilities He wants you to use in His service. One of the excuses that people give so often for not serving God is that, well, I just don't know of anything that, uh, that they can do or that the, their talent is so small, the, their gifts are so weak, and, you know, this kind of thing. It, I really just couldn't, I couldn't add anything. Everything's already taken. I want to share with you two things I hope you never forget. It is not the big things that make a church great. It's the little things. When we have a warm spirit, a warm welcoming spirit, a warm friendly congregation, then folks are going to be drawn to it. Because think about yourself. Would you rather go to some place and walk in the door and nobody speak to you? Would you rather be welcomed and made to feel, hey, this is good? Oh, yeah, we're going to try to get you singing the choir. We're going to try to get you serve other places. But my point is that every one of us, according to God's Word, if you're a child of God, you're given a gift. And that gift is to be used in the service of God. Now, what that gift is, I don't know. For different ones, it's different things. But God has given every one of us at least one gift, and He wants us to use it for His service. The second thing is, God is not interested in you doing the big things. God is simply interested in your being faithful to fulfill what He has gifted you to do. Not all the time do we get to do the big things. I don't understand why God couldn't be made me the next Billy Graham. I just don't get it. But He didn't choose to do that. And one of these days, he'll, no, he probably won't explain. He'll say, you'll figure it out one of these days. <laughs> but isn't that what we want to do? We want to do the big things. I want to be the singer. I want to be the one that plays the guitars. I want to be this. I want to be that. And God said, but that's not your talent. That's not what I've given you. And sometimes those little talents that we've got are so valuable in the church, we don't realize how important they are. They are just faithful Christians. In God's eyes, there are no big Christians. There's no little Christians. They're just faithful Christians. There's no big work. There's no little work. There's just His work. Anything that involves His work becomes a big work. I'm going to encourage many of you to begin this year by doing something for God. I don't know what it is. You say, well, I don't know what, to, I don't know what where can I serve in this church? Call us. Call one of the deacons. They'll, they'll, they've got some ideas. We can find a place to plug. It may be sitting with the babies. I tell you what, have y'all, I know her mom and dad's there today, but have y'all noticed uh, Danielle back there? Now, she's sitting with us this morning. Or in here, this, uh, she's in, in here, here this morning. 
that kid loves babies. I mean, it just, I think she'd try to take some home if we'd let her get out the door with them. But she just, lo- I mean, there's just something that some people have that just love babies. That girl, and what is Danielle? 15, 16, 17? 17. She's already, oh, she already graduated? Okay. Anyway, it just, uh, I mean, she just, I, oh, okay, she's older than I thought she was, but that's even that's even harder then. I mean, but she just loves babies. I mean, she waits for Brittany to walk in the door so she can grab the kids. <laughs> but it just, that, that's a gift, folks. Some people just have that gift of, of communicating with babies or singing or whatever it may be. There's so many... And watch how God uses those gifts in their lives and how he brings joy not only to her but to the kids in the nursery. We'll give you something to do if you'll ask us. Some of you need eventually to lead, be leading a small group Bible study, a Sunday school class, we used to call them. Some of you could at least pass an offering plate. Some of you could greet people as they walk in the building. Some of you could teach Little children, the Bible stories, so that they can have a break and come in the service every once in a while. See, there's many things you can do. Some of you could rock babies in the nursery, but you can do something. In one of the churches that we were at, there was a man named John. Now, John was an unusual character. I mean, John wasn't a very handsome guy. In fact, he wasn't handsome at all. He's not really very, I mean, he's, he's what you'd call a country bumpkin, the bottom line, but he had a heart of gold. He doesn't make a whole lot of money. He raised chickens over in Arkansas. He lived in a pretty much just a, a run-down house on a small piece of land out in the middle of nowhere. But let me tell you something about old John. Every Saturday, John goes down to the detention center for young teenage boys who've committed horrible crimes but are too young to go to prison. Young men who have murdered, raped, robbed, and everything else in between. John has led many of those young men to Christ over the years. Some of the hardest-hearted kids Look forward to John coming on Saturdays, and I suppose he's still doing it. I've been going from there for about four years, so I, I don't can't say that for sure. Because he's the only dad that some of them have ever known in their life. When you ask John why he does it, he'll tell you that he is so grateful for what God has done in his life. He wants God to use him to impact somebody else's life. I want to encourage you to be a grateful servant. This year, do something for God, for His glory, for His honor, and for His service. The second thing I would do is I would be a generous steward. To put it rather bluntly, I would not want to die with God's tithe in my pocket. I would not want to die with God's offering in my wallet. As a matter of fact, if I knew this was my last year to live, I would want to give more to God's work this year than I've ever given before because I won't need it after this year. <laughs> I'd wait until the last night and I'd go out and run my MasterCard bill for sky highs ago and then take me, Lord, I'm ready. Get me out of here. And he'd probably say, now you're going to wait another year. So, 
in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, the Apostle Paul was bragging on some of the churches in Macedonia because they had been so generous in giving to the poor and needy in Jerusalem. He was trying to motivate a church at a city called Corinth to also become a generous giving church. He made an interesting statement to them in verse 7 and 8 of Corinthians chapter 8. He was bragging all, on all the wonderful things they did as a church. But then he said this. Listen to this. And again, I'm reading this out of the New Living uh, Translation. Since you excel in so many ways, you have so much faith, such gifted speakers, such knowledge, such enthusiasm, and such love for us. Now, I want you to excel in this gracious ministry of giving. I am not saying you must do it, even though the other churches are eager to do it. This is one way to prove, prove your love is real. Did you catch that last part? I know we as Baptists don't like to hear about giving. But guess what? As long as Jesus talks about giving, I'm going to talk about giving. Because that's part of what God instituted. Paul says, Paul was saying this. I don't want to force you to give. I'm not going to nag you about giving. But the sincerity of your loving is proven by the activity of your giving. Think about that a little bit. That's a true statement. You give to what you love to. In other words, you can give without loving, but you can't love without giving. If you truly love God, and you truly love God's church, and you truly love God's work, then you will give to God's church, and you'll be, you will give to God's work. Period. Has it ever occurred to you that it is a compliment to a church to have a bigger budget from one year to the next? Now, I know we've had a pretty challenging year this past year. We had a lot of air conditioners going out and different things. It was a, it was a tough year for us. But has it ever dawned you? Think about it. It's a compliment to a church to have a bigger budget each year. To be more generous from one year to the next. That means that the church is going and that church is growing and that church is trying to do something. Let me share something with you. We've got planned this year. And it's in the early stages. We're getting there. But we're going to have what we call a mission cove this year, somewhere in this area. And it's going to cost us a lot of money, the bottom line. Well, you just got through saying we don't have a lot of money. We don't. But we do, too. God, I believe, wants us to reach people in this community this next year. And that's going to require every one of us, number one, making a commitment to get behind it, but also giving to it. We don't have a figure yet. I couldn't tell you. I would just be guessing if I did. But what I'm saying, if, if we want to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ, we've got to get out of these walls. And I understand this church has done this twice in years past, several years back, but still in years past. And it was tremendous success. That's what we need to be doing, folks. We're not called to sit inside this building and have a good time and love each other and pat each other on the back. Oh, you're such a good Christian. You show up every once in a while. We're here to reach out these people that walls have never walked in the doors of this church. There's men and women, boys and girls, that walk by here every Sunday morning, have never stepped foot in this church. That's who we're here for, to reach those people. It's going to be a challenge. It may not even make somebody mad before we get through this year. 
But I believe God's put on our hearts that we need to have some outreach that will do something we've never done before in a big and big way. You'll be hearing more about that as we go on. <clears throat> Incidentally, do you realize how, just how interested Jesus is in what you give? Let me show you something. If you want to, you can turn to Mark chapter 12, verse 41, but let me just read it to you. This is a fascinating story about Jesus in the 12th chapter of Mark, verses, verse 41. And the Bible says, And he sat down opposite the treasury and began observing how the people were putting money into the treasury. Now, I thought about that, and I thought, now, wait a minute. What if when we took up the offer next Sunday morning that I followed them down, and every time somebody put it, I'd lean over and, wow, that's good. Now, first of all, you'd be offended. Well, I, amen? <laughs> you'd probably get mad at me real quick. I'd probably be looking for another church the next week. But anyway, that's, that's another story. But guess what? That's exactly what Jesus does. He's watching how we give. He's watching how we give from the sense of the heart. Am I giving it, giving it from a free gift to God that I'm giving back to God for what He's given me? Or am I grudgingly giving it? Well, I, I'll give a dollar this week. How are we giving? Well, I just don't like sermons on giving. Well, I'm sorry, but God does. I don't like to talk about this in the church. Well, guess what? Jesus talks about it, so I am too. He began observing how the people were putting money into the treasure. He was watching them. But let me let you on another little secret. Do you realize every Sunday morning we take them an offering, Jesus is watching you? He's watching how you give, just like he did in this passage here. Now, the word observed there in that passage we just read comes from a word that literally means to examine microscopically. That is, Jesus was watching every dime, every dollar that the people gave. He was not looking just at the amount of their giving. He was looking at the attitude of their giving. How would you respond, again, if I followed the ushers down and watched what you gave? You wouldn't like it a bit. Nor would I if it happened to me. I wouldn't either. But I want you to understand, Jesus is watching you, how you give. Do you know why Jesus is so interested in that part of our lives? He knows that our attitude towards money is the acid test of our character. Someone has described money as simply the extension of one's life, and that's really true if you think about it. My money represents me. <laughs> Not a real good representation sometimes, but it does. It represents who I am. It represents my priorities. It represents what I believe in is important. Let's be honest. There are many Christians who spent more money on each other this Christmas than probably in the last few weeks that we just had the holidays than probably gave to their church in a year's time. If I only had one year to live... I would be a generous steward because I would know at the end of this year I will never have a chance to give anything again because my life would be finished. The third thing I would do, I would be a good student. What I mean by that is I would be as devout student of God's Word as I could possibly be. 
The psalmist said in Psalms 119, verse 11, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Before you can hide God's word in your heart, you've got to get words, God's word in your heart. You can't hide it until you have it. If I only had one year to live, I would spend time every day reading this book, memorizing this book, meditating on this book, abiding in this book, getting God's Word down into my heart so I could be for God everything He wants me to be. And by the way, let me say this. That's my New Year's resolution, that I would be more of what God wants me to be than I've ever been before in my life. That's my New Year's resolution. I want to read God's more word more and get it in my heart and begin to understand of it. You say, well, I just don't understand God's Word. Well, guess what? I don't either, some of it. But I've noticed this. If you'll study God's Word and read God's Word consistently, it'll begin to come alive to you. Listen to that verse again. Psalms 119, verse 11. I have hidden your Word in my heart that I might not sin against you. It guards against sinning against us, against God. I would take every day to read my Bible so God could speak to me. I would spend time in prayer so I could speak to God. In fact, I would want my last year on earth to be the most successful year of my life. And I've decided I want to make some changes in my life this year, in my personal devotion, my personal commitment to be more of what God wants me to be and less of what I want to be. Listen to what it says in Joshua chapter 1, verse 8. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. Did you hear that? You want to be prosperous in 2018? Joshua just told us how to do it. Oh, you mean if I do this, I'm going to be rich next week? No, I didn't say that. I said, prosperous. You'll have things that will become valuable to you that you don't even realize. You'll have things that become important to you that you don't show a lot of importance right now. In other words, your priorities will begin to change when God gets a hold of us. And I don't know about you, but I think God needs to get a hold of all of us. The word prosperous has the idea of making right in wise decisions. When you read God's Word and get, into the, get it into your heart, God gives the supernatural ability to make right and wise decisions and ensure success in what you do as long as it's in God's plan for your life. When you get into God's Word and get God's Word in your heart, it will become the source of your speaking because God says to Joshua, the book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. In other words, when you start speaking, your speaking will even be different. God's Word is to direct your speech and dominate your conversation. When your words are guided by His Word, He will be pleased with every word that you speak. Every word that you speak. God's Word will also be the subject of our thinking. Because God said to Joshua, You shall meditate on it day and night. The Hebrew word for meditate has the overtones of humming a song. 
Have you ever heard a song or listened to a song and got that song in your head and you just couldn't get it out? I mean, it just, it just no matter what you do, that stupid song stays there. That's the connotation of what he's saying here. And when you get God's Word in our heads, it begins to stay there. And we begin to listen to Him. We ought to meditate on God's Word so much that we cannot get it out of our head. Get up in the morning and read something. Read a devotion, whatever it takes. Read a chapter of the Bible, whatever it is. Do something every day. And God will give you the wisdom to make good decisions in difficult situations. I want to take time to say that if you only had one year to live, there's one thing I guarantee you would do that year. That I would do that year if it was me. I would read the entire Bible completely through. I think every Christian needs to read the Bible through at least once a year. It's not too late. We've just had a week. It doesn't take reading much. If you just read a few chapters, believe it or not, you can read through it in a year's time. There's even plans that you can read. You don't have to uh, you know, go in the order it's in. You can make, let it make more sense sometimes. God has to say important things to us. That's why he wrote that thing called the Bible. If he didn't want us to read it, he wouldn't have wrote it. But he wants us to be in it. We as Baptists call ourselves the people of the book. There's a good Greek word for that. It's called baloney. Because most of us don't read it. There was a statistic, stat, boy, that's a tongue twister, statistic that came out not too many years ago that said, now this is churches all across, not, ju- not just Baptists said the average Christian, people that claim to be Christians, read the Bible less than five minutes a week. No wonder we've got powerless churches. No wonder we've got powerless lives. No wonder we've got no power inside of us. We're not listening to the instruction book. He wants us to read it and grasp it, get a hold of it. I cannot take the time to say how important that book is to us, how important it ought to be to each one of us. God has to say it enough to us. I didn't want to read anything else. I'd want to read the Bible, nothing else. Stay off the computer. Stay out of Facebook. Read God's Word for a little bit. Watch it change your life. That's why I'm going to encourage you this year to join me in that Let's make a commitment to read the Bible this year. Nobody's going to check up on you. I'm not going to call you and make sure you've done it. And You're not going to call me or anything. Just make a commitment to reading God's book this year. Watch how it changes our church. Today is January 7th, isn't it? So see, we've missed seven days. You can double up for, four, for seven days and be caught up in no time. I know some of you will sit there and think, well, I don't understand all the Bible. Well, guess what? I don't either. You've got to search it out and see what he's saying to us. Use people. We've got Sunday school teachers. Give them a call. If you're in somebody's class, call them. What does this mean? I don't understand this. And let them explain it to you. Nobody understands all the Word of God. In fact, I had a guy tell me one time, says, if you have somebody tells them they know everything about the Bible, said, run from the biggest liar that's ever lived. Because nobody does. There's parts of it I hadn't even got into yet because I don't 
I don't even know how to pronounce the names, let alone get to the part of it. Number four, I would be a godly seeker. What I mean by this is while I spent my last year, I want to spend it seeking God. I would also want to spend my last year seeking out others who need God. I would spend my last year on earth doing what Jesus had spent his entire life wanting to do on earth. He says in Luke chapter 19, 10, And I, the Son of Man, have come to seek and save, seek and save those like him who are lost. How many of us are seeking people for Christ? How many of us consistently begin to try to talk to people? Friends, family, strangers. Oh, I don't want to do that. That might embarrass somebody. Which is worse, embarrassing them or going to hell? If I knew I was going to only live, leave this earth in a, this heaven, let me start that over. That didn't come out right. If I knew I was only going, going to leave this earth for heaven this year, I would want to make, take as many people as I could with me. And yes, I've got family members who do not know Jesus Christ, their Lord and Savior. And I want to make sure they do. There are so many ways you can begin to do this. Number one, you can pray for people who need the Lord and ask God to give you an opportunity to begin to bring them to Christ. You can invite them to church. You can give them a gospel track. We've got some around the church all over the place. We've got many over the office if you need them. I read an amazing true story about a soldier in the Civil War, and it just seemed to fit this topic, so I, I put it in here today. His name was Peter Apples. Peter Apples was really not a very good soldier in many ways. He just knew that when his commanding officer said charge, he was supposed to go. Peter Apples was the kind of man who never came back until he had made contact with the enemy. One day his officer said charge, and Peter Apples charged. But his regiment came under such severe fire that his commanding officer called retreat. But Peter Apples didn't hear it. He just kept going. He went across no man's land and finally got into the enemy's territory. He went down into a ditch where the enemy soldiers were lined up, one after one behind the other. He took hold of the first one in the ditch, hit him a time or two, three times, grabbed him by the neck and dragged him out of the ditch and started back towards his side. The enemy soldiers took aim and started to shoot. But because he was dragging their own soldier, they couldn't fire. Peter Apples dragged this soldier all the way across no man's land, back behind his own lines, and dropped him at the feet of his commanding officer. The commanding officer looked at him in amazement and said, Where in the world did you get him? Apples said, I got him over there in that ditch, and there's plenty more to get if you want to go get him. Now, I don't know if that's a true story or not. It was said, it was told as a true story. But I thought about this. There are a lot of people out there lying in the ditches of depression, of discouragement and defeat. They're just waiting on someone to get them get in that ditch and get them out. And yet most of us sit inside these comfortable buildings, singing our praise songs, worshiping God. Oh, isn't God good? While people outside these doors are literally dying and going to hell. I don't know about you, but I won't. 2018 to be a different year. 
I want us to have a burden for people, a passion for Christ, a love for each other. I want to see God do a work in this church. I believe God wants so desperately to bless this church. And you know the only thing that's stopping him? You and I. And probably me more so than anybody else. I want to see 2018 be a year when God makes a difference in our lives. We have good servants, generous stewards, good students, godly seekers. We can make it the best year we've ever had. Let's stand together. Dear God, we thank you, Lord, for this day you've given us. And, Lord, as we come to close this service, Lord, we just ask that you would put in our hearts a burden. Lord, a burden as we go into this new year that we would be the church you want us to be. That, Lord, we would reach out in our community like we've never reached out before. Lord, we wouldn't be afraid to step out and do something different and to just invite people and encourage people, whatever it takes, to bring them to Christ. Because, Lord, we know this world's going to end one day. I don't think it'll be too far down the future. And, Lord, without Jesus, they're all going to hell. Friends, family, loved ones. And, Lord, it's up to us to share Jesus with them. Put on our hearts that, Lord, as we try to be better Christians. Lord, you know the needs of every man, woman, boy, and girl that's here today. I don't know their needs, but you do. And, Lord, as we sing this verse of invitation, our invitation for them is they can respond to Jesus Christ right now. They don't have to become a member of this church if they choose not to. That's not what we're after. We're after to grow the kingdom of God. If they're looking for a church home, we're here. But, Lord, we want to grow the kingdom of God more than we want to grow this church. Lord, break our hearts for people outside these doors. All these things we ask in Christ's name.